Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Wow, I'm really excited about today's show, Ed. Yeah, I am too. I've been looking forward to it since uh, we decided to do this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. For those of you listening, this is actually the part two to our uh, one we just did last week's The Science of Likeability, where we kind of went through and talked about different chapters. Well, we held on to a specific chapter, and it's titled How to Be a Leader That Anyone Will Follow. And there's so many great examples in here that I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to go over this and kind of talk about it with Ed. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts, my man? Uh, yeah, no, this was um, even when I first read, first read, this chapter stood out. Second read, I had still some aha moments. So I think that this should be very interesting and informative today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it. when it comes down to it, though, it's. It almost seems like it's common sense sometimes, but then if you don't think about these things a little bit here and there, it's not so common. You know what I mean? Like you, you're actually like, you know what? Yeah, I should really try to do that. Um, or yeah, you know, that technique might work, but sometimes we don't think about it because instead what we do is we fall back on what, uh, what we refer to as the muscle memory. Uh, I mean, there's that muscle memory leadership in a sense uh, where we've learned to lead or influence a certain way over time, you know, we've come accustomed to it from other people being that way. So that it's, it's, it's that instinctiveness that we talk about, like we're being instinctive in that manner with this, it helps us, it helps you open your eyes a little bit to other scenarios, other ways, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a, a good one to discuss. Yeah. And it gives you some, uh, I, I feel like it gave you a little self-awareness as you're leading it, reading those different leadership types then you're like, oh, I remember a situation when this was me, and I remember this as a situation when this was me. So, yeah, no, I, I, that's one of the things that stood out to me anyway is the whole reflection and self-awareness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, so real quick, though, I uh, want to let you all know that so Zencaster is kind of what we use to help us uh, record this. And for those of you out there, if you listen and you're thinking about starting a podcast, it's not like we don't get any advertisement or anything for it. I just want to make sure people know that it's really cool because it's almost like Ed and I are in the same room when we're talking. We actually usually spend about 30 minutes before the show talking and chit-chatting back and forth yeah it's like a uh like an operations meeting before we start yeah absolutely yeah i mean it, if you think about it in a sense uh between that and this the you know the different type of equipment we use it's you know matter of fact ed he just says to me your microphone it's reading rather high <laughs> am, I, am i clipping or what buddy you're not clipping but you're you're your peaks are very high if you look. Yeah. See, and that's, and that's, part, that's part of the thing. You know, it's, we, we're learning how to do different things, um, you know, with the show and understanding, you know, the, the, the audio part of it. You know, Ed and I, we can talk all day on influence and leadership and things like that. But it's then the technical piece where we're like, oh, okay, now I understand that. Um, you know, another great thing, great tool that Ed brought up was looking at a, a different page called Promote the Podcast. And, um, or promote your podcast. And it's, I mean, that's like, 
that's helped me out a lot, you know, to try to understand things. Uh, I like actually going on there and I, I mean, I don't always review them, which I should, but I've listened to several podcasts that I found on there and, and you get ideas like, okay, I see that one's an unedited one. They kind of like that. And so it gives you ideas and some of them are really good. I've, I've heard some very good podcasts that were promoted on there. So, yeah, I mean, well, uh, you introduced me to that lead X one. And I, I think that one is actually really good. And then you just told me you bought the book. Yes, uh, I bought the book. Uh, what's the name of that book? Something about no rules for leaders. I can't think of the name of the book right now. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, but it's things like that that help open us up to other things. It's not like, you know, like we're looking for just an audience who just tunes into us only. You know, we want to diversify and we want to look at different things. And I think... You know, that's a big part of why we, you know, we're kind of reviewing this book and we've actually taken two different episodes to because it is so good and the information is really, you know, it's helpful. And like you said, you read it once, you get this, you read it twice, you get this, you read a third time, you'll probably get a little bit more, you know, but with that, what I definitely wanted to mention before we got too far into is, hey, Go to the, the Facebook, uh, the Facebook. <laughs> go, to, go to the book. <laughs> go, to, go to the Facebook. Go to Facebook. Uh, go to your, you know, your search um, function up there and, and just type in 101 Influence. If you've not become part of, you know, our community, then do that. Once you click on it, it should be the Instinctive Influencers page and then hit visit group and answer those questions and become a part of it because we're asking questions pretty much every episode. Um, if you if this is your first time listening, you're going to see that every single episode we're asking some type of question, you know, and we're asking some feedback from you because that's that interaction that we're trying to get amongst other people. When I look at our statistics, uh, have you looked at them recently, Ed, at all? I, I haven't recently. I've been out and about. <laughs> people are listening on all you know on all kinds of different in, in different kinds uh, countries and whatnot. And the crazy thing is, it's it's probably most likely people that we know um, that. Uh, that you know they're obviously stationed somewhere else and whatnot but or maybe somebody stumbled across it and hopefully that's what it is too because you know getting new listeners that's i mean that's key because once somebody listens to one show they may listen to two and three and four and maybe they'll take something from it and then they'll share it with someone else before you go any further before we go any further uh, with the show make sure share this episode with someone because I think you're going to like it once you get done, once we get done with it and, and you're, you're done listening to it. Without further ado, Ed, I think we need to jump right into this book. All right. I'm on the diving board waiting to jump in. Dive in, buddy. <laughs> All right. It's actually, so if you were listening to the last one, chapter 12 in the electronic Kindle version. And Ed, I think it's what, chapter 10 with the hard copy, the newer version? Uh, yes. Chapter 10, how to lead anyone. Yep. And then mine says how to be a leader that anyone will follow. So it's the same thing, same idea. Right, right off the bat, I'm, I'm going to read a couple uh, sentences here. As much as we would like to pretend that we are all 100% in charge of our own destinies, the truth is that most people are looking for a leader. We don't come out and admit it, but we're looking to be led and for someone to make decisions for us. A shepherd is a valuable and comforting presence. You know, it makes me think of uh, uh, Tim Kennedy, the you know, yes, the sheepdog, yeah, and and being a shepherd. That's what I, is right off the bat. I think of that, you know, because you know the type of guy he is, and we've talked about him before. Being, you know, he has that whole sheepdog mentality. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about the sheepdog. I don't think I've ever heard you know Tim Kennedy's. I know who he is, but that take on it, but. Um, 
I mean, we all do. We do, especially when you're in a new situation. At least for me, I I wait for somebody to kind of take take a lead before I jump in there. Because I I mean, I could take the lead, but maybe that's not the way things are done in that organization. So I'm a little hesitant. But yeah, I mean, everybody wants to be lead in some way. Everybody wants to be led. There's a quote. It's uh, I actually believe it's the great General Patton. It's lead me, follow me, or get out my way. Lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. That's that's actually uh, I'm pretty sure some profanity in there. there. There probably is knowing General Patton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let me let me continue on because the this next area is really good. We might think that we want the freedom of choice, but while we theoretically want it, we don't often know what to do with it and what clear direction. This is true even when it comes to emotions. Don't your friends ask you your opinion on their love lives and whether or not they are justified in their reactions? Like that right there, I mean, that that says a lot because you think about it. Obviously, we think we know what we want, but sometimes, I don't don't know how many different times like I would get engaged in something and I'd be like, all right, I have to to have something to help guide me through this, right? So let's just say writing a paper. The very first time you write a paper, it's not like you know how to write a paper or write a memo or conduct some type of analysis. It's not like we know like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. So we look for some type of guide to lead us through it. And when we do, we follow that guide, but then we make our own little variations along the way that change. But we still seek that type of lead. Does that make sense, Ed? Yeah. You know, in the beginning of uh, when, you know, talk about writing papers, when I first started writing papers, the title page is something I'd always mess up the format on. But then once I got it right, I literally go back to old papers. I copy that title page, bring it over to a paper and just change like what the topic is, you know, but I use it like a template. And honestly, I just keep using it like the last one is the next one. And so I use that to kind of carry on to figure that out because we, you don't wake up one day and you're a leader. You don't wake up one day and know how to master writing a paper. That's just the fact of life. And that's just one of the tools that we use to adjust to that. Absolutely. Yeah. It, and that's the whole point. It's like we each have our own little mold that we created off of another person's mold. Yep. I, I may, You and I may lead the same way or influence the same way to a certain extent, but then, then it changes along the way. And we, we start using our own little, uh, our own personality, our own emotions, as he speaks about in here to kind of transform it. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be, you gotta be flexible enough to adjust. And then, yeah, you gotta put your spin on it early. You may mimic the leadership you see around you and how they influence. But then as you get seasoned and you get more confident and comfortable, you'll start to branch off and make it your own. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you know what? He goes a little bit further into this too. He talks about every friend group has an unofficial leader, right? That little piece of this, it's not even the full sentence. It makes me think about what I was once taught uh, by Hartley Paul. He was an old platoon sergeant from a long time ago. And he always, you know, he always pointed out that within any large group, there's the official leader and then there's the unofficial leaders. And I, we've spoke about this before. And that, I mean, it's funny how we can continue to resonate upon the same things because of how true we've seen it to be. That unofficial leader has some type of pull within that group. So catching that unofficial leader in your in your grasp to kind of like embrace them and, and help them guide everyone else, that's key. 
And I think we're going to see that throughout, you know, some of these examples we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this on the first part of the episode, actually. And then so the quote I offered, by the way, it was from General Patton. But let's think about that quote and the official unofficial leader. Lead me. So I'm giving you a chance to be the official leader. Oh, you're not going to be an official leader? Then follow me or just get out the way. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that's that's it right there. I'll be the leader. You follow. And it was and the full quote is we herd sheep. We drive cattle. We lead people, lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. And that's by General George S. Patton. But so it is, that's a good illustration of the official leader. I let you try to be the official leader. Okay, you don't want to do it? Too easy. I'll do it. Yeah. And then you take over. And if you get your feelings hurt, you just get your feelings hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's funny, though, a lot of times we'll seek some type of leadership from someone else because we might not completely trust our own judgment at that point because we don't maybe we don't understand it or we've never been through it before so we're kind of looking for a guide so to speak and that's why a lot of times people confuse leadership with management all the time right but a lot of times what we don't realize is leadership isn't exactly like literally me getting in front of you and you follow me all the time it's coaching it's mentoring it, you know it's it's that idea of well you know what this is one of the ways i did it you can use this or you can do it your way. And we're going to talk more because I think uh, I want to say one of the one of the examples that he goes into in the book. It's like that. But right off the bat, another sentence he writes, people don't always trust their own judgment and need to take cues from others to feel validated and accepted. I watch for this all the time in groups. If you you watch, you have a group of people there when the person speaking if they're usually seeking approval from somebody within the room. Now, sometimes it's the most ranking person. Um, sometimes it's the most influ- you know, the influential person. Or sometimes it's just their friend that they're close to and they're seeking. Because watch when, when somebody's talking, watch how they'll look. They'll constantly look at that same person. I've actually, it's, it's funny. I've, when, I, when I speak to groups, like if I speak to a formation or whatnot, I try not to look at the same person all the time. And I definitely don't try to look at like the commander, you know, because he may be off to the side or, or the back, but I don't try to show that I'm, I'm seeking that approval. Yeah. Uh, you ever notice any of that? So, you know, I share with you, I went to a, a event where we were dealing with contractors <clears throat> and the table wasn't that large. So in the whole, you know, everybody sits down. I end up sitting at the head of the table and I'm in charge of nothing. I am really there in an observation thing. You know, I'm not the guy that makes decisions on contracts. And every contractor, there were eight that came in and spoke to us, would say stuff, and they were constantly watching me for a reaction. And I thought it was strange, but I picked up on it pretty quick that they think I'm in charge. They really do. And in that room, I was probably the least in charge of anybody. But so it's not even that they're looking for a person for approval, but they also look at a position. Head of the table means they're in charge in their mind. And they were looking for approval thinking that was me. Yeah, that's awesome. It. It's funny how you can sit in a, cer- a certain spot or you can act a certain way and people think you're the person running the show and you may not be. It's it's that unofficial position. Yeah, and I like same same you were talking about your presentation, your presence. If you stand upright or you walk upright or you sit very, you know, upright and proper and maybe uh you know, everybody in the room is business casual but you have a tie on 
they may make that tie be the thing that says, well, that guy's in charge because he's dressed, he's different than everybody else. It's really weird. And, and it's interesting when I attend meetings like this, I think it's, uh, I, I'm actually taking notes on stuff like that so that I can share it with our audience. That's awesome. It's, if you think about it, this very much ties into other shows we've done, uh, influences communication, you know, or, or communicating influence, you know, this is a form of communication there or presence. We did, we did the uh, episode influence is presence. Yep. Your presence really can set the tone for those around you. It's just the thing of, you know, we've talked of it before where somebody does something they're not supposed to, and you give them that look. It's the same thing. That's influence. That's leadership. That's presence. And it's developing somewhere in there. So right here, he says, it's easier than you think to step into the leadership role among your friends or at work. It's not the struggle or burden that many leaders complain about. They're simply acting inefficiently and perhaps unaware of what Daniel Goldman discovered in 2000. We're going to get into this science piece of uh, the chapter, and it's it's Daniel Goldman. We've goodness, we've already spoke of him multiple times on different episodes, particularly on the emotional intelligence one, developing uh, influence through developed emotional intelligence. Yes, but a lot of if you think about it, if you can if you can almost intertwine your leadership with your emotional and 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 social intelligence, your capabilities are going to be twice as good, you know, twofold. It's Yeah, it's a force multiplier. Yeah, exactly. Force multiplier, it's building upon what you already have the capability of doing. You're just making it better. And you're using those, I mean, people give off signs all the time, all the time. You just have to be able to read it. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, anytime you can be a force multiplier, it's better. And the emotional intelligence thing, when we first started doing that, it was so good. Uh, The episode was excellent. The research going into it, it was all informative. And we as influencers, leaders, whichever, that should be our desire. I want to be a force multiplier. You always say, I want to leave an organization better than I found it. Well, you're a force multiplier then. Yeah. And, And that's how I see it. I just see a force being a force. Anything that lets you do that is i mean i can't see a bad thing in it yeah exactly you know and i love i've always loved that comment i want to leave the organization better than i received it i came to this organization where i'm at right now i will say that the two individuals leading it those two people did an amazing job at getting it where it's at right now i i feel very fortunate that i fell into on you know in on systems that they've already created and now, and it was just the other day, I was talking to my commander and I was saying, well, you know what? I love this, this, and this about it, but I want to tweak just this because I think we could get a little bit more production. And that's what it's about. It's not, it's not, you, you don't go into something and turn it upside down. If you do that, absolutely not. you're going to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've dealt with that before, I hear, I think. Yeah. Well, we see it in our, in our career field. You see all the time. Yeah. We just had a, a changeover in the, first sergeant position and i get it you know you want to put your stamp on it but the same week you take over every change you make that week is oh this guy is just trying to show off because he's the new first sergeant where if you do it over time and space they're like okay i can see where that's a good change but you can't come and make drastic changes in the first week because then it causes that resentment yeah you know and 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 that's exactly why like uh, i'm in i'm about three months in I've made small little like just little unnoticeable changes here and there, but now 
this past week and actually the week just the week prior, I've kind of like ramped up a little bit and say, hey, we're going to do this a little bit different. I like the way this is, but let's let's add this to it and let's try doing this instead. You know, one of the simple things like if you're if you're in the world of human resources, your way that you receive the customer has to be different. It cannot be the what do you want type attitude. You know what I mean? It, you can't be that way when you're in, you know, and, and that's like, I have this, uh, this group of people there. That's pretty much what they are. They're like the human resources for the the organization. And they, and they work like pretty much right directly for me. And I said, listen, when somebody comes in and, and if they, they were fine, the way they, you know, it was how things were and said, I said, just, just start off the, right off the bat. How can I help you? And you literally are creating an inviting presence and 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 an atmosphere. You're inviting people in when you say, "How can I help you?" I, I made it a point that every time I answer my phone, and if it's one of my, especially if it's one of my platoon sergeants, first thing I say, "Hey, hello, such and such. How can I help you?" Yeah, it's funny. I had one of them. He replied back to me. <laughs> literally, I said, "How can I help?" Isn't he's like, "No, it's how can I help you instead?" And I'm like, <laughs> "No, not, I'm pretty sure I had it right the first time, but thank you." <laughs> So, all right, Ed, you want to jump into the the science of this and kind of kind of give us a an overview or what you're seeing right now? So da- you, you already talked about it being Daniel Goldman, who we have talked about. And he conducted a study in 2000. 3,000 managers were con- part of this study. Now, the only thing that I didn't notice is managers in what – I don't like to see like managers in what realm. You know what I mean? Like – they're managers, but are they managers of fast food? Are they managers of retail? Are they managers of Fortune 500 businesses? What are they managers of? I'd like to see that added to it. But the end result is they came up with six distinct leadership styles and types from that from that study. And I think that that's important to know because we're going to talk about those uh, six distinct distinct types. Yeah. Now, I don't want to give all six of them right now because I think maybe it'd be better if we say, hey, there's this, and then we discuss it. But I, that's the only thing I really saw weakness in the study is I just would have liked to know what realm they came from. Yeah, and I, I have to I have to agree with you because um, in, in my version, it talks about each type of leader caters to a different type of intelligence and primary motivator. After all, not all of us are motivated or driven in the same way. That's all it really leads to. And I'm like, uh, well, what are they leading? Or where? What, what kind of industry are they a part of? You know, because there's a lot of difference between a sales, you know, like a sales group and maybe a fulfillment, you know, like orders fulfillment group, right? Those, those are two different types of leaders you have to be there. You know, sales can be rather difficult. If you don't know how to, yes. you don't know how to teach, <laughs> you don't know how to teach it, or you don't know how to, you know, keep it going. You, you're going to, not only you're going to lose the, the, the possible customer or prospect, you're also going to lose employees because they're not growing and they're not able to uh, adapt and overcome versus uh, orders fulfillment. And you know this from personal experience because in your career field, you're pretty much orders fulfillment, you know, with the whole supply system and logistics. That's a whole nother beast. Yeah, and it is. And, and you know, I also think, uh, I mean, you got to be able to be multiple types of leader. And I think that is very much driven by what's happening in the moment. What At that moment, you may need to be one type. And if you got a task and the task is six months down the road, then maybe I can be another type. But if I get a last minute thing 
then, you know, I have to be more direct. I have to change my approach up. And that is that flexibility that is important in a leader and an influencer. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the whole thing is he's, he's going to describe, you know, with each one of these types of leaders, but it has a lot to do with efficiency and effectiveness. And it's how efficient and effective that leader can be by using that particular style right here. Unsurprisingly, different people have different needs and respond to different kicks in the, I'm going to say fifth point of contact, placing people into one of the six categories. What's that buddy? Kicks in the keister. Sorry. There we go. Yeah. Placing people into one of the six categories can help you skyrocket your efficiency and effectiveness as a leader. The round hole gets the round peg and the square hole gets the square peg and the benefits are limitless. Now, sometimes, you know, the round, if the, the, the round peg is not too big, it'll fit right in the square hole, but it's not the act. It's not really what's supposed to be. And that's, you know, I've heard that before also. What if the square, what if the square peg is slightly smaller and it'll fit in the round? Well, yeah, it'll fit through, but what about all that empty space that you're missing? Yeah. Those are opportunities. Those empty spaces. Absolutely. And that's, and that's what you want to capitalize on right off the bat. First one, the visionary leader, this type of emotional leader moves others towards a shared vision. The shared vision is, of course, an ideal. This leader tells the group about the vision they should all share, but doesn't really tell them how to get there. This person sets the priorities, but doesn't really lay out a step-by-step plan. I could not agree with that more. All right. We talked about it in the give uh, method. You know, influ- instinctive influencers give vision. You're, you're placing something out there and then you allow them to figure it out to get to it. Yeah. I, I like this type of leader myself because uh, you see there, there's some decentralized command. Like they're, they're, they're getting you, telling you what the end state is and they're giving you some freedom to maneuver and operate to reach their, their vision. So that's why this one here, I, I kind of, I like this type of leader. Mm -hmm. When he talks about it, he says, this type of emotional leader is powerful because laying out a broad vision enables people to coordinate by sharing information and also puts them in a position to motivate each other as they struggle towards that goal. So let's think about that. He said right there, a broad vision enables people to coordinate. So that's creating communication amongst the group. So now the group's communicating. And then it talks about puts them in a position to motivate each other as they struggle towards the goal. I have often found when you're a part of a group and you have a specific problem and everyone's concentrating on that problem, you tend to come closer together. And I have a great example of this. It was probably about 2012 or so in Afghanistan. I'm not going to say exactly where, um, but we had this issue with an aircraft and the, the, the weapon system would not stop uh, vibrating and then failing. And it would do this. It would do it often. And I'm not going to like, I'm not going to give specifics, but just to give you an idea, we were on this problem for a week, one week, we daily, and we're talking about 12 hour shifts, 12 hour day shift, 12 hour night shift, 12 hour day shift, 12 hour night. So you, you're talking a full week of nothing but 24 hour shift wow. total uh, working on this problem. That's a lot of man hours. You're telling me. And you're talking about each shift anywhere from three to five people doing different stuff. Now, you can, you can only effectively have about two people working the problem, but others were there and they're giving their ideas. 
And I mean, there was so many different ideas. I mean, we even took, I'm not joking. We took, you know, did it legally. We took a weapon system from another aircraft, put it on there and it was still doing it. So it was like, okay, well we can eliminate this. And then what we found out was, is there was a, a bad part that was sending the wrong voltage and it was within a side of a part that you would never think of was the problem. But the way we did was we started brainstorming. We started talking. We started thinking about, well, if this connects to this and it and it sends a signal to this, then it would make it do this. And and we were basically looking at all these possible options that could, you know, dissect it down to this one thing. And sure enough, we found that part, you know, we checked uh, and and really how we had to check it. We had to get approval from like different, uh, different, uh, levels because you can't just like open up a part, you know, and start, you know, checking it. And we were checking the voltages and all of a sudden we're like, huh, this voltage is supposed to be one twelve, blah, blah, blah. You know, just to give an example. So we asked, Hey, can we get, can we, uh, you know, and we had to do a control exchange from this aircraft to this aircraft. We get this part and we put it on there. We put on there problem went away. And it took us a week to figure that out. I mean, it was, I mean, we, we're talking, we had civilian experts out there on this and everything. And I watched our group. It's funny though. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with this, Ed. Our group, there's some people who came closer together and made the group tighter. Some people got so frustrated, they pulled away from it because they really like, it's almost like they, they couldn't handle what was going on. Have you ever seen that before? Yeah, no, it's just, it's, I'm just blown away by the amount of, of man hours, but yeah, that, that connection, that common, cause you went through that common suffering of 12 hours of working on this one thing, the frustrations. And then in the end they had a shared success and then that feeds into it as well. Does, does that go along the lines of the visionary leader? No, not exactly, but it's an example of kind of how people can struggle together and then pull back together. Right. Um, the main drawback of the visionary leader is that this type of emotional leader often falls short when trying to motivate experienced team members. When they're dealing with experts, they're dealing with people who have their own vision. You're dealing with people who have seen alternative paths or no alternative paths. It takes a lot more convincing power to motivate these people. In many cases, the better approach with people who have clear alternative vision is to invite them to the table, get them to feel that they have skin in the game by working with them to fit their existing experience and vision to the grand vision you have in mind. That, this is a lot. Because what happens is, is if you don't know what you're talking about and they do, you literally just lost all your skin in the game. I've seen it before. How about you, Ed? Yeah, and... I mean, if you bring them to the table, so I've done it, I've done this thing this way and I've had success. Brian's done it this way and he's had success. And let's say Schmuggatelli's done it this way and he's had success and none of them are the same. But if I bring y'all to the table and we discuss it, we may even be able to mesh what I've done with what you've done and a little bit of Schmuggatelli sprinkled in there and do it better. And I get buy-in or skin in the game from you because I involved you in it. Whereas if I just execute the way I know, you're like, no, this can be done much faster. And and now I've, I've kind of cut you out of the equation uh, with your experience. So I think it's good to get those experiences and group them in. 
Well, and if you think about it too, though, I really believe that you have to know a little something about what's going on there. Like you can't, it's not something you just fake the funk on. Fake it, that whole, that the idea of fake it till you make it. I don't believe that works in a situation where there's, if the, those are the people there are experts within that field and they know what's going on, your, your jargon is literally only going to kind of like go so far. And then people are going to be like, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just throwing out slang and buzzwords to sound smart, but he doesn't yeah, know what he's yeah. talking about. Let's move on with this. Uh, the best situation to apply this type of emotional leadership is when your group needs new direction. Needs new direction, not the direction they're already going. Uh, if your group has tried a lot of different ways to get somewhere or has tried many different goals and hasn't gotten anywhere, a visionary approach works the best. The leadership technique is effective because it has a strong impact on the climate surrounding your team. This is key. What I'm talking is, is they've been, let's say they've been going the same direction with the same effort the whole time and it's not doing anything. It's literally uh, a roadblock that can't be it can't be gone through. So how do we get around it? Well, we well how about we do this? Or your thoughts about this? Could we reach this goal if we go this direction? You basically you're just using uh, a new direction. You know, you, you reach that that Y in the road or the fork in the road, whatever you want to call it, and instead of just going straight and creating a path, you're just kind of going around you know, to where you need to go. What do you think it, man? Critical and creative thinking. I think that's what I think of when I see this piece here, because it says it's talking about how your groups tried a lot of different methods to get inspired and get moving. And then you as the influencers or the visionary leader, maybe it's through your creative and critical thinking that you can come up another way. Mm -hmm. And that may be the way that may be the way that, that, reaches your team you know he talks about that it, this 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 particular emotional leadership approach he actually speaks on how it works best when it's people who are confused or distracted so if they're confused or distracted and that's that's a whole identifying okay what's the key problem here right you don't have to fix the problem you just have to be able to identify the problem and all too often i, I, I mean i've seen it Tons of times where somebody can't identify the problem. What's really going on here? And and if you think about it, let's go back to, we can go back to my story. We we knew what the problem was. We just didn't have a direction to go. And so we were generating all these different ideas to get to the solution to that problem. And that's, that's I mean, that's a, that's a key part of this. So you think about the visionary is more about leading those who are uh, confused or possibly distracted. To end out this this particular piece of it, he talks about this person is just looking for direction and would be very open-minded to ideas and directions you have. As long as you are clear as to the benefits this person would gain, your confused friend shouldn't have a problem following your emotional lead. Or, uh, you know, it says friend, but it also could be coworker or whatever. And that's the thing is your, so, your, your vision can't confuse them more. If it confuses them more, they're, they're sitting there thinking, what is he talking about? You literally are going to lose all credibility, all of it. So you ready to jump into the next one, Ed? So the one thing I don't think we really mentioned. So in the book, when you look at it, they, he gives you kind of a quick one sentence wrap up. So for visionary, it just says, come with me 
to a better world is kind of how he frames the visionary leader. And so I think that kind of wraps all of that up uh, of the first one. Five more to go. Yeah. <laughs> so it, so what that uh, that quote, see, that must be the difference between the, the newer hard copy and the uh, and the electronic version, because I do not have anything about that. Uh, you probably find it in the takeaways in the takeaways at the end. Yeah. OK. All right. So we're going to get into the coaching leader. This is probably one of my favorite ones. Coaching leader is focused on individuals instead of an overarching vision or goal. Of course. It's better if individual development can line up with something grander, but it's not imperative. So think of what it's called, the coaching leader. So, yeah, as a coach, and he talks about this, as a coach, I want to make you better as an individual, but I want that that gain skill to benefit us as a team. So, you know, like when you talk, talk uh, basketball, right? I want you to be the best guard you can be. I want to get you where you're handling the ball, you're dribbling, whatever. And then I want you to understand your role in the team. And then when I bring all those pieces together, then we achieve great things as a team based on the development of your individual goal. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's funny on, on mine, it talks about the coaching leader is really a facilitator and bringing things together. I've spoke about it before. Uh, it's The Coaching Habit. It's a really good book. And it goes through ways to coach. And, and you basically, you do it through questioning. And, you know, the first question you ask is, so what's the problem? Or, or so, so what's going on? And you're asking this question and somebody, they're going to spill their guts of what's going on. If they're, if they're in a problem and they need coach through it, they're going to kind of give you all that information. The crazy thing is he, he says, once they've done that, there's more problems probably underlying in it. So then you say something such as, and what else? Uh, and usually, yeah. And usually it's like they'll, now I've, I've actually been trying this um, recently and I am actually shocked as how much there is, you get, you can only get part of the problem at first, but then when you, and then you say, you just say the small comment and what else, then they, it's almost like they think you know and so they're just going to tell you <laughs> what you really don't know and it's so funny because it and on top of that what i watch is like it's almost like a light bulb clicks right mm -hmm. because we've spoke about this before when i talk about the pro remember when i talked about the problem monkey uh previously yep. I'm not giving you know okay so you know i don't want to give away all my solution bananas you know for this problem monkey because i got a hungry gorilla who needs you know he needs his solution bananas it's the same thing because I, I've, I've explained, hey, listen, when you bring a problem, you may want to bring some solutions. Now, there are times when people don't bring solutions. And that's when I start using that coaching habit questioning. And man, it helps out so much. Yeah, I think that's important for senior leaders to understand how to do that, though. Senior leader development, because, all right, maybe you're maybe you legitimately have uh, uh, something that you want to fix and you really cannot come with a solution. So through questioning, I'm going to help you come up with that solution. And then next time you're going to be like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to start asking myself those same questions again for a different situation. And it may help me be able to this time develop that solution. It may open my mind up to think more critically. And I'm like, okay, I got it. And then when I come to you, I say, Hey, here's the problem set. And here's what I think would be a good solution. 
you know, and what you just said there, it falls along the lines too, Ed, of, you know, the, what the author says here with the coach and leader helps team members dig deep within themselves to identify weaknesses and strengths and how these can tie into their personal goals as well as their ways of doing things. So you're literally, you're just, you're just kind of like opening it up a little bit so they can see. That's all it is. You're just kind of like helping them see. And once they can see a little bit more, well, then they're going to dive into it, you know, and it's, and it's keeping them motivated to do that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a eighties Lakers fan. So the Lakers have won the championship, <laughs> right? Lakers have won the championship and they're working for their first, for the back-to-back title, you know, Magic Johnson's there and Pat Riley basically identifies to Magic Johnson that your long range shot is not a threat. We need you to increase your scoring. Magic identifies that's his weakness. He works on it and he increases his scoring. The team wins a back to back championship. They were the first team in, in 1987. They were the first team since the 50s to do this. But by Magic making a goal that I'm going to develop my outside shot more. It helped the team to achieve the overall goal. And it all starts with Coach Pat Riley saying, we need you to score more. And here's where I see you picking up your points at by increasing your threat. Because, I mean, he wasn't swift, but if Magic Johnson gives you a head fake, you have to respect it because he has a better outside shot. Now he blows by you and, you know, he's going to make that pass or he's going to make that next shot. So that's all it is. It's it's same thing. Now just put it into an organization, identify their weaknesses and strengths, show them the path or help them develop a path to improve it. Thus you improve your organization. Yeah. And you know what I find funny Uh, when it comes to sporting events, we, those we call coaches, we don't call them, uh, we don't call them managers or we don't call them directors. We call them coaches for a reason. And, it's not because they're doing the work, right? They're not out there actually normally. I mean, now there's the player coach situation, but that's very seldom yep. and, and and it's usually like intramural or whatever. But most of the time, they're there observing, they're watching what's going on, and then they're offering solutions to help or they're they're using the talents of those within the group to help, you know, help them figure out a solution to get beyond the problem of not winning. Does that make sense? So that's actually, yeah. And it's actually funny and just real quick, and it's another sports analogy and hopefully our listeners all are understanding it, but there is a sport where there, there is a manager baseball, right? Right. So we always talk about the difference between a manager and a coach or a leader. The manager is the guy that sets the lineup. He determines who's going to pitch. He determines who's going to come in and pitch next. That's he's managing the team. However, he has a pitching coach, a batting coach, like he has fielding coaches. So he has coaches in each individual area that's fall under him. He just overall manages. So that that can kind of to me that shows the difference between management and coaching. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And oh I like I like what where he goes with this next within this part of the uh the chapter. Coaching leaders are also great at delegating assignments and they are very demonstrative of the faith that they place on team members. A coaching leader's style of emotional leadership often produces a high degree of loyalty. Whenever you show trust and faith in somebody, they can't help but reciprocate it. That speaks volumes. When you literally, I mean, I I just did it with a kid the other day. 
Um, he was struggling with a PT test situation and, and he's, he's worried that he may not pass and all this. And I look at him and I, I, I went through the steps of the coaching. And I'm like, well, what do you think the issue is with it? And he told me, and I said, well, what else? And he told me, and I said, and I said, well, what's your, what do you want from this? And he told me, you know, you want to pass and do all this. And I said, what? well, I can tell you right now, I have the faith in you that you can get this done. You're going to pass this without a doubt. You know what the issue is. You know how to fix it. Make it happen, man. I know you can do it. And really, I didn't, it wasn't like I gave him some wise words of wisdom that made him special. And sure enough, he did a great job. And when him and his little friends are complaining about you, right? When his friends are complaining, he's probably going to come to your aid and be like, you know what? He's not that bad mm -hmm. because you just put that loyalty into his head. Yeah. Well, and, and well, I would think so too, you know, it's because it's one of those things where it wasn't like I was demanding something from him or I was forcing or I was putting him in a bad situation. Obviously he knows the repercussions if he didn't pass said, uh, said PT test. But it was instead, let's look at the positive side of things. Let's, let's, you know, let's generate some positivity. And too often, that's what happens is we'll see people that will just, they'll like gravitate towards that negative side of it. And it's like, whoa, 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 back up, back up for a moment. Mm -hmm. let, let's, let's go positive on this and let's see what happens. Um, and I'm, I'm telling you, just the funny things of just looking at somebody and literally when they when they approach you and you, you look at them you smile and they say how can i help you you would be you'd be shocked what comes back it's not like usually most of the time you get a smile back and they'll probably spill their guts or whatever but it's still it starts off that interaction with a positive action and positive words yeah I, yeah i agree i mean we can even take it back let's go right back to basketball michael jordan left Chicago because Pat Riley or not Pat Riley, but Phil Jackson was not coming back. That's the loyalty that he had. Where does that loyalty come from? Well, Michael Jordan's early career, they were not a great team. In comes Phil Jackson. He puts in his, his offense, his triangle offense. He makes some uh, roster moves and six championships later, mm -hmm. Michael Jordan has all this loyalty to Phil for everything he did for him that when he leaves, Michael Jordan says, well, I'm out of here too. Because he recognized that that contribution that Phil Jackson makes to his career. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually find myself going back and watching some, you know, some of the stuff I remember watching in high school, watching him, you know, well, it be middle school and high school, but watching him play. And I'm just, I'm still in awe today, the loyalty and just the, the, and the leadership that was there, you know, whether it be, you know, Phil or whether it be Michael, even Scotty, uh, Steve Kerr, you know, all Kukoc, all those guys, just their roles they played and how well they meshed. I mean, even Rodman of all people, you know, I mean, there was a point in time where I thought, I thought, uh, I, I can't remember which game it was, but it was Michael and Rodman. Like uh, Rodman was still with Detroit and Michael was with Chicago and, I thought they were going to get in it, you know, get at, uh, get into a fight right on the court. But then later on, here they are, teammates, and they're mm -hmm. they're literally sinking together. And it's like, wow, you know, that's insane. It's amazing. So and and actually, if you look, when Rodman used to have some of his little meltdowns in Chicago, generally when Michael Jordan got involved in calming Rodman, it usually worked. And I would say, I would argue that that's a respect thing. Well, in, in I think it was a mixture between. Uh, Phil and Michael, 
you know, kind of getting him through those times. Yeah. Um, but now we do have to talk about though, there is a drawback with the coaching, the coaching leader. Cause he talks about it in here and it sometimes it, um, it can almost seem like that you're uh, a bit of a micromanager because you're getting too involved in the details is what he talks about. And you're getting too much information. And then uh, you turn into kind of like a, a know-it-all of all the situation. And, and people then tend to want to draw back from you because they, they feel like you, you're, you're too involved. And I mean, I've, I remember I've been called a micromanager before too. You remember Ed? I think I've called a micromanager. I think I feel like it might've been me. I think you I think you're the one that called me. In. Yeah. I feel like that might have been me. <laughs> I know it was you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was my coaching style, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but you you have to look at it that way. It's like sometimes you can get too much information or we're trying to we're trying to draw too much information, really. It's you draw what you can and you allow them to come to their own conclusions. And, and you just guide them in that manner. But, you know, too much information can really hurt, though. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with the coaching leader, Ed? No, I think we, we covered it pretty well. I mean, yeah, the micromanaging thing is definitely, it could be a perception. It could be a reality, too. But So basically, I don't know if you have this in yours, but it says, if you're dealing with people who are a long way off from reaching their full capabilities, a coaching leadership style works great. It's useful for growth and maturation. And that's kind of how mine closes out. Yeah, no, that that's exactly, um, it, it's kind of like that. But he also talks about um, it's uh, best used when dealing with somebody who is immature. Yeah, yeah. And it, it should help with that growth. So like young mm-hmm. privates, I just left home for the first time. Um, it, you know, those I think this would be a little bit more effective on, especially like, you know, hey, I've never had a check. Yeah. I've never had to balance my bank. I. As long as the card swipes, I got money, right? Like those guys, you probably got to coach a little more. No, exactly. No, and exactly. Um, it's funny. The both of us are right now currently locations that are outside of the United States. We're we're away from the motherland of the United States of America, and we have kids, literally. And that's why I call them. I call them kids because they're young, eighteen, nineteen-year-old kids who just left high school, they probably never left their state. Someone probably nef- never left their like county. And now they're in a foreign country where the rules are different. The language is different. How you do this and that is different. It's like they really need our coaching. They don't, they don't need these rules that like totally conform them into what they, they're not going to fit in it. You know, it's, you're going to try to, you're going to try to create, remember what we talked about earlier, the square peg and the round peg. Yeah. We're trying to get them. We're trying to form, you know, we have this huge round peg and we're trying to squish them down into this little tiny square. It's not going to fit coaching them through those, those things, you know, and talking to them about these and the different, you know, the differences and what it's like being away, you know, it really, to me, it comes down to those who have been away before and understand what it's like. Um, but you got to be careful there too, because I've seen, I've seen people of who, who've got some age on them and they still make horrible decisions, <laughs> but it's helping them through that. It's coaching them through those, you know, those, those changes that, I mean, I, I can't, I, did, I came to Korea the first time when I was, I want to say I was 21. So I was, I was slight, you know, I was of legal drinking age and whatnot, but I was 21 years old. And I can tell you right now, I did not have the mature capacity to handle being in Korea then. 
I really could. I didn't. Um, I was just buck wild, crazy. I there. I mean, there was just. I I regret some of the the ways I behaved and whatnot. And I think back and I'm like, man, and, and I share that with some of the kids. And I tell them, I said, listen, I really wish I was, I didn't do X, Y, and Z. And hopefully it helps them. But it really, I, I think the coaching leader really has to help that immature, not understanding type individual. Right. Yeah, you definitely, that, that maturation. And that's a challenge. I've always thought it was a leadership challenge to take immature soldiers and mold them and, and help them to fit you know, help that square peg into the round hole type of thing. I've, I've always thought it was a challenge, but I also always have enjoyed that challenge. Exactly. All right. So let's jump into the next one. The third one is the affiliative leader. And really this particular leader really is based upon like creating like a harmony. It's creating like a a unity among the group. And you would think all of them are, well, well, aren't they all creating unity? Well, yes, but it's how you focus how you create that unity and the particular type of focus you use. You know, the hope is that once these connections are made, people would collaborate because they have become emotionally invested in their connections. So once again, we're talking about emotion, you know, emotional intelligence is is huge on this. This person works primarily to get people to open up instead of necessarily getting stuff done. So you open up about, you know, what's going on and who you are and what you got going on. And it, and it allows kind of this flow of information uh, when performing badly, this leadership method doesn't get to the bottom of things. You have to remember that when you're building emotional networks and you're trying to build connections among people, you have to deal with distressing situations like negative feedback. You simply cannot avoid them. You need to look at them straight in the eye. Negative feedback is can be just as conducive as positive feedback if you're able to identify it. That's the way I see it. Now that's not something that's in the book, but that's you have to be able to look at it that way. Yeah. What are you thinking? This one reminds me of uh being on night shift in Afghanistan and I called them my E4 mafia. And so I think this is more of a you're the head of I'm the head of the family. And I created that connection in them that they cared enough to make sure that each other didn't fail. So if they had individual taskings and I'm done my tasking, then I'm going to go help you do your tasking. And overall, I want us to do great. You know what I mean? So you get that buy-in from them. You create that connection between them where they don't want to disappoint each other. And then you as the affiliate leader, you're the maestro. You just kind of step back. You let them do their thing. You oversee it. You step in, you make a correction, you step back out, you let them flow. That, that's kind of how I see. I think of my E4 Mafia uh, when I see this one. You know, and I find that, um, you know, what he talks about a little bit more here, uh, where you said you step in to make, like, say, said correction. That's, that normally could be with that negative feedback. Like, if there's some negativity going on among the group and you're noticing things aren't connecting and, you know, they don't have the – now you have that one person who's like, oh, I don't care what that person thinks. I'm doing it mm-hmm. this way. Whoa, 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 what's going on here? See, that's where you, you, that's where you jump back in, and now you're trying to help guide through that issue because the work's going to get done. It's not about the work getting done, but it's creating that conducive, you know, effective, efficient team by making sure that hey. Not everything's, you know, some sunshines and rainbows and roses and all that. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but at the same time, 
you you want to make sure that you know those big hiccups, those big negative situations that they're adjusted and they're you know they're they're looked at, they're identified, they're they're um, they're redirected or or fixed in whatever means you need to, and then you go on. And the one thing he talks about here too is that this particular leadership, this type leader, it's it's a lot better used if it's combined with the visionary leader. And he talks about, he says, the effective leader approach is uh, pairs with a visionary style leadership. In other words, you lay it out ground vision and then work on building emotional connections. The secret to success is to get people emotionally invested in the grand vision of the team. And that, that that's where you talk about. It's like, if they care about each other and they care about, you know, their, their pride kicks in, they're going to, you're, you're going to see them work a little bit harder. You're going to see them do a little bit more. They're going to, they're going to go beyond the, what you asked them. They're going to try harder. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, the other thing, you know, think about it. We've talked about before walk around leadership, the affiliate leader. I feel like this is very important for the affiliate leader, walk around leadership, just because if things aren't going right, the affiliate leader would observe this through his walk around or her walk around leadership. So in my scenario with the night shift, you know, I have one guy is not pulling his weight. And what's happening is all the other people on night shift are getting their work done. And then we're all ended up with this one guy who's way behind, obviously not pulling their weight. Now it becomes a little more, they're resentful because it's always this guy. He always does half the work we do, but he takes 30 minutes smoke breaks well, if I'm in the office, I'm not noticing these things. And if they're not comfortable bringing it to me, I'm not going to know. So walk around leadership lets me get out. And I notice, man, every time I come out my office, this guy is smoking. And then I start paying attention. How long is he out there? And that helps to build that. Then I pull them aside and I, I speak with them because I don't want them to fracture the the organization or the team that I've built as an affiliate leader. But you have to be aware as well. You can't fix what you don't know. And if you cram yourself in your office, you're not going to know. Oh, yeah. And because I also want to uh, associate that with building, you know, paying the bill for leadership capital. Um, what if they do come to you with a problem? You you can't dime them out. If you dime them out to that individual, next thing you know, now you've just created a riff that is going to, it's going to multiply the problem when they're by themselves they're going to be even less trusting of one another. So it's it's understanding how to kind of like effectively approach that problem that you you know it's a problem, but they need to know that you have their back, right? So whoever came to you, one, they got your back. Um, and, and I'm not talking about like, because they're tattletales, right? The, those those people, and you're just like, okay, listen, get, get away from me. Yeah, Stop yeah, tattling. Absolutely. Don't be like that. But... But if you're able to address the problem without giving up some type of names or anything like that, or, you know, such and such said you've been doing blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. You you have to know how to word it correctly, such as, you know, I've noticed, um, I noticed I'm seeing these people over here doing this, but then I see you over here doing this. What's going on, man? What, why, what, what, what's the deal? And and you'll, you'll get, you'll get an answer. You just have to keep prying. And then sooner or later you turn that on them. By like, for instance, let's say the smoke break, right? I noticed you're out here smoking 30 minutes at a time. And it's like, I know it doesn't take that long to smoke a cigarette. Um, but those guys are in here, you know, they're, they're busting their butt. They're working hard. Well, how do you, how do you think that makes them feel? 
you know, if, if, if they see it, because I know what I'm seeing, you would be shocked at what their answer would be because they're going to tell you how those other people will probably feel about it. And then, I mean, simple questions is, what should we do to help compensate them for uh, these breaks, you know, to give them, you know, we'll see where the, you know, the solution goes. So, yeah, I mean, and for me, like that, that's usually the first thing I think of. How can I approach this without sacrificing the person that brought it to me? Because if you do that, then they're never going to bring you anything else. So what I always do that if for some reason I've overlooked it for whatever, that's when I'm going to get my uh, walk around leadership spark. I'm like, okay, I need to get out there a little bit more and I need to really pay attention. And now this person has seen me, saw my, you know, I've got a presence in their mind. Now I can say, you know, I noticed. Mm -hmm. So then I can get defensive and say, who who said something? No, no, no. I noticed I'm out here all the time. Yeah. And then I can handle it from there and then we can have our discussion. And I think that's a, that's a better route to take at the same time. Once you've been, and once it's been identified, you know, and, and presented to you, check it out for yourself because that way you can actually speak upon what you've seen, what you've heard. Yeah. And it's not just, they don't like them. So they ganged up on them. It's not that like I saw it. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's just knowing how to do it. You're right here at the very end. He talks about, you know, the affiliative leader approach works well if you're trying to patch things up uh, between others. If they went through a, a rough spot and people got mad at each other, this emotional leadership approach is a great way of healing rifts and getting the team united so that they can successfully survive stressful situations. Sometimes, I, I'll, I'll say it, sometimes I purposely have put in people in a stressful situation to see what's going to happen. I've, I've actually tried to over like overburden a group just to see, well, who's going to crack first and why and how and all this. And these are the things, but I'm, I mean, in the situation, obviously that's not going to, you know, I'm not going to do it right in the middle of a, you know, a, a war situation, you know, on the battlefield type thing. But if we're in training of sorts, I'm going to try to see if they're crack. I want to see who cracks, why, how, you know, all the five W's of it. And then, and then I want to see the succession of cracking because once one person does, usually then another person, then, and and then you start seeing what's going on and it's, it may sound mean, but at the same time, you have to know your limits. And if you're doing it in a training situation, it's a little bit better. You know, it's like some of those shows you ever, you ever watch like the, like the, um, the survivor shows and whatnot, Ed. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually really enjoy survivor, (laughs) but you watch those, right. And it's crazy. Like, have you, do you ever sit there and think to yourself, okay, I think that person's going to crack first or that one's not going to make it and do this yes. first. And then all of a sudden they surprise yep. you. Yeah. That's exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, well, it goes back to the old. So what you're doing is I don't see a negative in it as long as you're doing it in a safe kind of safety net environment, like in training, because I mean, isn't it the old saying iron sharpens iron, right? Absolutely. And that's all you're doing is you're finding that breaking point. So you understand, and it may be, they don't break the one that you thought was going to break doesn't break and you know, and so forth. But at the end of the day, you're just making them sharper so that when it is a combat situation, they don't break. Yeah. And, and you know, your limits too. Yeah. You understand that. So, or if a stressful uh, deadline at work, you understand, okay, I know this one's going to break. So I may have to give them a different type of leadership style or it just gives you a better visual. Great point. All right, so let's move on to the next one, uh, the Democratic leader. Mm, this one, I'm torn on this one. Really? I'm torn on this one. 
I'll, yeah, I, I am. So, I like. I it. think this is a time and place. This is a time and place one for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let me stop you right there. I truly believe. I read each one of these and I think, well, I like to do that sometimes. I like to do that sometimes, or I like to go this. So I truly believe these are six approaches one person can take. Yes, a hundred percent. I believe the author even says that in here. Yes. So let's hear about it, brother. Democratic leader. Democratic leader. The method is in the name. The Democratic leader seeks to build consensus through a process that includes all the parties present. When you feel like you've had a say in the matter, you suddenly feel investment and interest in reaching your goals. In a sense, the Democratic leader is less of a leader and more of an organizer or administrator. They do not make decisions themselves, but they synthesize the information and present it to others so that they may make the best decision. The best, like my best way of dealing with a senior group of people who've been around a while. Because early now we talked about, uh, we were talking about in the coaching leader, or was it the coaching leader? Uh, no, the visionary leader. And the visionary leader is like dealing with people who are, rather knowledgeable about it yeah i with those type of people i like to go the democratic leader style i literally i'll I'll tell them the this is the proposed plan what are your thoughts and i just sit back and i listen and that's that's a form of that democratic leadership style yeah and then let them come to the consensus or the decision yeah yeah and they build a new plan sometimes or they take your plan and they just change a little bit here and a little bit there but it works Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, there's time and place again, like, but it's a senior level, so much experience that I think the democratic leader method could be, it could be very effective in in certain arenas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about earlier, we talked about it was, uh, for the, for the, uh, the coaching leader, that's more for an immature type of person. I really, I don't, I don't think the democratic leadership style works well with immature people when it comes to certain types of plans or, or, or tasks or whatever it has to be done because maybe they don't have the experience to be able to speak on it and they're only going to think one area, one realm. But then again, you never know because maybe they understand X, Y, and Z and they're able to you know diversify what has already been brought to their attention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And then what you said, I mean, basically – in the in the text, the author state talks about it. Um, pure democratic leaders exist in groups where both sides are presented information. So you presented them some information, and then the majority rules. Yeah, yeah. Is it uh, right here? My part. It says your focus isn't necessarily on finding the right answer. Instead, your focus is on simply getting people to participate by sharing their point of view. Point of view. That's what it is. And I think we'd actually use this at the academy because you're going to let basically you're going to present them something and you're going to let the groups, you know, make their, their arguments for and against the different points of view. Mm-hmm. And then and all you're there for is to facilitate that discussion and, and make sure it stays on track. What is that exercise we used to use? Five will get you 25. Remember that? Oh, yeah. So we used it for restaurants. And basically the question was, what's the best restaurant to eat in in the Nashville, Clarksville area? And everybody put in their input and they said, well, I think it's this because they have great this and this. And then everybody gets to vote, right, one time. Uh, and then you rotate and then you add it up in the highest number. That's the restaurant we're going to for lunch. So, like, that's something I would use as a platoon sergeant. All right, we're going to have a platoon lunch and everybody's got these ideas. So let's write them down. Let's do five. We'll get you 25. And then whatever's the highest, that's where we're going to lunch. 
Yeah. Or let, let's say, let's put it in a marketing uh, perspective, right? So we really need to, we've got to win this company's account to, uh, to be their primary marketing company and, and to help build their, basically their story brand or their brand. Well, what are some of the approaches we can take? And, and, and you start, you, you know, you start pulling from these, all these individuals, because what if it's something like, um, say baby diapers, right? So how, how are we going to present our ideas? Well, we've got it first. We've got to kind of take a collection of the ideas to be able to figure out where we want to go. And that's, that's how it works out. The, the actual, I like what uh, the author writes right here. The secret to this emotional leadership approach is really execution. It's how you execute it. It's not, you're not coming up with the answers yourself. They're coming up with the answers. It's how you execute it, how you facilitate it. As, as it was mentioned earlier with the coaching, you can also, you can facilitate is a lot of different things, but how are you guiding it through to get an end state? That's the point of it. All right. It all depends on how you perform. It's what you're doing to help get it through. Uh, if you if you do it badly, it looks like you're simply listening to a lot of people, but very little is being achieved. That that to me says a lot too. I mean, how many times have you been a part of a group? You literally stand up and you say, "We went nowhere with that." I, I think I did it like twice last week. Yeah, yeah. I think I've been in some meetings where it's like, uh, "What did we accomplish today? What did we talk about?" Yeah, I, I think we've I think you and I have been in meetings together where it was like that. <laughs> yeah, that's why I dislike meetings so much. But um, but also with the Democratic leader. So it gives everybody a voice. And in turn, I, um, it gives everybody some kind of a buy into it, because I can tell you when I, when I'm in a meeting and we're discussing it could be something silly. Let's say favorite restaurant. Once I make my case for Mission Barbecue, I'm proud of that. Yes, I made my case for them. Now, maybe we don't go there, but I made my case. You know what I mean? Like I had a voice in this. I didn't just go Mission Barbecue because it's good. Mm -hmm. Like I got to present. And and a Democratic leader, that's a good thing because you get some buy-in. I feel good. I I had a voice. You listened to me, whether we went that route or not. And, you know, it doesn't say it earlier in it. It doesn't talk about pairing it with one of the other styles, but when you think about it, um, it talks about here, the best use of the democratic leader approach is to employ it to get people to buy into a grand vision or goal. So I think you could actually kind of pair this with the visionary leader, but you you have to know what the goal is or the vi- the end state of the vision. You have to know that, what like what is wanted. If you If you don't understand that part, then you have no way to guide it. And that's the whole point is just understanding, okay, what is actually wanted of this situation so I know where to take them and I'm receiving the right feedback to get in that direction. You, it reminds me of, um, remember the, you know, that wave thing where we talked about how we facilitate, Ed? Yeah. We have the wave. It has like basically you're, you're trying to get to, you know, from this big point to a little point, but then they're not going to go in a straight line. They're actually going to kind of go up and then all of a sudden you have to stop them at a certain point, drag them back down. And then you basically kind of, you kind of constrain them as points go along to get them to that final product of, okay, we got it. This, we got this and we had to do this, this, and this, which wasn't planned in the middle. We are the rumble strips on the road. 
that when you hear that rumble strip, you move back onto the lane and you keep driving and then you might swerve the other way and you hit the rumble strip and it pulls you back into the road and we're still driving towards our destination. But sometimes we swerve and when we swerve, we hear that noise and that's us. That's noise is us pushing the conversation back into the lane. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the very last thing you see, you might be creating more problems than you are solving. Uh, that's what. He, that's the very last sentence. Yeah, be careful. I can see how that would happen. Have you ever seen where uh, more problems have been created from that whole democratic thing than solved? There could be some resentment too with that because, mm-hmm. you know, we get to arguing and things get said, especially us as the democratic leader, if we don't maintain control and moderate that or um, mediate that, then it could get out of control and some things could be said. Now it caused resentment. Now we've hurt the organization or our team. So yeah, I can definitely see where the democratic leader has to be skilled. Yes. But I can see where using that technique could kind of be harmful. Right. So you brought up earlier, you said, uh, what was the the restaurant you wanted? You said, we're going to do this restaurant. What was that again? Mission barbecue. Mission barbecue, right? But then we have this guy over here, Joe, who doesn't really want to go to Mission Barbecue, but you've been fighting for it democratically and you're trying to, you know, get people persuaded within the group. And then Joe over here, I'm noticing he's really against it, really, really against it. So what I this is a method I like to use normally. I will I will I will definitely I will actually turn my body towards them as if I'm talking directly to them and only them as the as the person who's kind of keeping everything flowing. I will kind of turn my body towards them and I will, I will say, Hey, help us, help us out with this little bit. Give us, let's, let's do some positive and negatives of, of choosing mission barbecue. Like, and you get them to give you the positives and the negatives and watch, you know, where the direction goes. And on top of that, if the positives are really good, they'll convince themselves. If the negatives are convincing enough, they may convince like for you, you may be like, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. Yeah, let's not go there. You see what I'm saying? So you're creating that flow. There's no vegan options at Mission Barbecue, maybe. Oh, yeah. Believe me, I know. Uh, I've gone and every time I, I've only been, I think I've been there twice. And both times I was like, man, I hope I don't get stuck with something. <laughs> I hope they don't touch my food with grease on or anything. Like, uh, because the you know, next thing you know, I'll be doing the kicking chicken in the middle of the <laughs> parking lot. <laughs> but have you, I will definitely say though, their bread pudding is phenomenal. Oh my goodness. It's so good. It, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we are not a paid advertiser for mission barbecue, but I will tell you this. If you get a chance to try them out, do it. It's worth your money. Every single penny. Every one. Anyway, you're making me hungry and it's hard to find barbecue here. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on to the very next one. This is number five. It is the pace-setting leader. The pace-setting leader creates goals and sets up challenges for the team. This person would set up certain objectives and set the standard for excellence. These leaders are effective leaders because they exemplify their standards. They show people how to get stuff done because they themselves live out their goals. In other words, they act as role models for the team. Simple terms. They walk the talk. That's what that's my easiest way to say the pace setting leader is they walk the talk. What are you thinking? I, this is another one. Like, yes, there are some very super effective pace setting leaders. However, I have also ran into some really bad 
pace setting leaders because it's so push, 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 push. You're not going to get buy-in from people because you're pushing them at your pace, basically towards, towards whatever the goal is. And it's all based off of your, what you want. Mm -hmm. I'm the pace setting leader. I've done this. I've done it this way. This is how we're doing it. You know what I mean? Like there's no buy-in in that type now I can see it being effective too, but again, we've said it many times, time and place. There's time and place for each one of these styles. I think it goes back to knowing your people too, though, and knowing their limits, right? We talked about earlier, I, if, you know, I think it was an affiliative leader, we talk about, you know, if, if I know the limits of that person, I can kind of push them a little bit during training, but then an actual, like real time. I, I know their limits, so I don't want to try to set that pace beyond their limits. Yeah, and the other thing about this type of leader, too, is it really doesn't – so in the book he's saying there's a lack of time for coaching and mentoring during anything with a pace-setting leader. You lose that kind of ability. They want you to get things done, and they want you to get them done as quickly as possible. Like, So, you you, you know, I, I'm trying to get to this end state, and I got to get here by this time. Go, 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 go. Well, can you show me? Now you have time for that. Go, 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 go. So, I mean, that's another kind of negative look at it. Maybe I'm just being negative, Nancy, about this one. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, seriously. So it, it says right here the uh, they push these people forward uh, by demanding more of them. They know that people who have a tough time reaching certain goals are simply slacking or not expecting enough out of themselves by sitting people down demanding more of them and offering to work with them. They motivate them to get going. Uh, they motivate their friends to get their house in order type. But at the same time, this, to me, this falls along the lines of you, you have to, it, that emotional thing he talks about earlier, emotional intelligence and, and, and emotional and, and social intelligence. You have to know who you're dealing with. You have to know their mentality. You have to know what works to motivate them. If, you know, if you don't know what works for, if I don't know what works for Ed Haley, I'm not going to be able to motivate him if I don't know what it is that's that that core value, that core motivational you know piece to get him to do what he needs to do. That's, I mean, it. You can set a pace all day long, but if it's not in line with your abilities, it's not going to. They're never going to meet it. Yeah. So both of us have left the United States recently and, and been assigned overseas. Right. So imagine if I said to you, you know, you've never been there. And I said, Brian, be in Korea on 10 June. And that was it. I just expect you to understand how to get there. That's the pace setting leader. Here's your time. Be there. And then I just let it go because I expect you to be able to handle it on your own. But that's just not going to be right. You know what I mean? Can you imagine if the military did that to us? Hey, be here. See ya. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in a sense, you almost think like that happens. I mean, well, watching the younger kids, we're, we're us. We're, we, we, we know what it's like to do it. So we have. Uh, but do we? Like, I've never been to Europe. So, you know, stuff like health certificate for my poodle, uh, shipping my car. Like, if they didn't give me that guidance and just said, here, be here in Europe on 10 October. I would be lost in the sauce because I'd have, I don't know. And that's the, I'm giving you, I want you there. Matter of fact, you know what? Don't be there in 10 October. I want you there 10 August. Yeah. That's the pace setting leader. I give you a destination. I just expect you to understand how to get there. I, well, I think it also comes down to the type of person. Once again, knowing your people, for instance, 
if I'm telling you to get somewhere by 10 October, right, you're going to ask key questions that need to be answered versus a younger soldier who has never moved, like you've moved in the army before. You just didn't move to Germany before. Right. But a younger soldier who's never moved ever, they're not going to even know how to, they're not, not even going to know what questions to ask because they've never dealt with it. Now they may ask questions, but there's going to be some, there's going to be some specifics there that they're going to be like, they don't even think about versus you. You're thinking, you know, you're thinking about your dog, you're thinking about your vehicle, you're thinking about how right. your wife there, all these things, you're getting your wife settled in so you can get a job, all these things where they're just thinking, all right, I got to get from point A to point B. How do I do that? That's, that's their question. Yeah. I mean, it- Exactly. And it, if you look in the text, I mean, he even says this type of leader might just tell them that they need to get their act together. And if they can't, then it's on to the next person who can. So, okay, you can't get there by 10 October. Good. I'll delete your assignment and I'm going to put Brian on assignment to be there by 10 October. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They just, that's where that lack of coaching comes in for the, uh, for this leadership style. Yeah. And that's why, and that's why this particular one, has to do with knowing your people. Yeah. So if I if I know you're capable of it, I'm going to push you in it. Then I can effectively use it. Yeah, yep. exactly. But if I don't know you're capable, I can't do it. I had a platoon sergeant at one point, and he used to tell me all the time, like he's like, "Well, we can we can uh, we can get our soldiers to do a lot more if, you know, during their off time. They're studying the manual, blah blah blah." I'm like. I mean, that's what off time is. It's to decompress. It's to to get away from that. And he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I understand you want the most effective uh, individuals possible that has tons of muscle memory on the situation, but I guarantee you at some point they're going to break because you're, you're, you're requiring too much of them. That pace setting is overload. It's not, it has nothing to do with building and now it's turned into overload. And I just didn't agree with him. And I, I had some pushback on it and kind of one, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things I noticed here, uh, he talks about the most common downside to this type of emotional leadership is that it tends to be light on guidance. And that's what we were talking about. There's not a lot of guidance there. He also says you set up a destination and you expect them to instinctively, look at that word, instinctively know how to get there. Just like you said. So it's, it's definitely less guidance because I would say to me, this is, for experienced people, not experienced, well, yeah, experienced leaders also, but also to utilize on people that you know their limitations and their experience level. And that's that's the understanding, you know, uh, for those of us that are military, I mean, it's in our creed, right? I know my soldiers, and I always place their needs above my own, but I know my soldiers. And as a subordinate in the civilian sector, you need to know your people. I need to know that Brian cannot ha- or can handle pressure but Ed, not so much. So if I got a pressure situation, Brian's going to perform a certain way. Ed, I'm going to have to be a little more uh, kid gloves with. Maybe if it's a situation where I require uh, this type of leadership style, maybe Brian's not my, I mean, Brian's my guy, but Ed, I'm probably not going to use this on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Ed needs a little more guidance or Brian's been with the company for 10 years. Ed's been here for four you got to know your people and make those determinations as an influencer and leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let me read this next part. And it, and it makes me think about something particular and you'll probably agree with you hear it. This emotional leadership style works best. If you're dealing with somebody who is already competent and motivated, uh, in other words, 
you're dealing with somebody who knows that they have a problem and they know how to get there. They just need motivation. They just need people to place trust in them and to model or exemplify success. I, I associate that to promotions. I really do. Because usually people, people who want to get promoted, they already know what the issue is. They just need pushed to get to it, right? Whether it be in civilian side or, or military side. You know, military side, it's, it's like, hey, you need to start practicing for the board or you need to start updating your records and this and that. So you need to do this, this, and this. Get it done. And because they want it, they're going to do it. It's the same thing in the civilian sector. If somebody really wants a promotion and you say, okay, these are the marks you need to hit to be able to get promoted, they're going to do it. They're motivated already and they're already competent in it. They just needed a little shove. And this goes back to what we I said in one of the earlier ones, the iron sharpens iron too. Like, so I, I'm, I know this, you know, whatever we're doing, goal, I've done it. And with the pace saying leader, I'm going to put you on the pace that I know you can operate at because I know you, but I'm probably going to crank it up just a little bit because I got to challenge you to make you better, to become a better leader influencer so you can take my position. I'm grooming you by making it tougher on you uh, by keeping a, a, you know, a rapid pace like this. Exactly. Uh, so the last thing here it talks about uh, with this particular one, he says, uh, on my book, if you're dealing with somebody who is not really all that motivated or is quite unsure as to how to get from point A to point B, pace setting leadership doesn't work. It can often poison the climate and send the wrong signals. Instead of motivating somebody done badly, the pace setting leadership style may appear like you're judging your friend. And that sounds very accurate. It, it, it may feel like judging. Yeah. The other part that I have is they can take an organization from a seven to a 10, but not necessarily from a three to a seven. So, you know, if you're on, the, you're already performing on the upper end, then we could probably boost it and get better, but I can't bring you from the bottom into the upper hemisphere as easy through pace setting uh, uh, leadership and muscle memory. If, if I got that, you've already got muscle memory. We've done this. So if we've done this mission, let's say we were, delivering whatever and we've done this mission driving across the united states and we've done it in you know 14 days before to deliver these this equipment then asking you to do it in 11 or 10 might not be as far-fetched because you have that muscle memory you know all right but i need to be here at this time i need to be here it makes it easier to plan it out as a pace setting because you've done it no, exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you're blind and I'm telling you, hey, drive all the way across Canada and you've never been to Canada and I'm saying, hey, you got 12 days to deliver this to this and let's go smoking in the bandit style. <laughs> uh, you may get lost in the sauce. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I like how you brought up the numbers there. I thought that was a key piece because you think about it. If you're an organization that is under five, right, you're under you're under the the average point. Let's let's say five is average, and you're in the three zone. I I truly believe that requires the visionary and the coaching leader. All right. I think if you're at the five, you're you're more of the affiliative leader, and and you're moving towards the democratic leader style. I think if you're in the seven and the eight, now you're the pace setting leader, right? And that's going to kind of yeah. lead us into the, the next one. But I I like to associate it as such because you think about it. We talked about it earlier. Yeah, with the immature, the coaching is for the immature. 
Well, if your organization is immature in success, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter who who who's there, how old they are, anything. Immature could be multiple things. It's not just immature as in age. It could be immature as in experience of that said task or whatever it is that that organization uh, handles. All right, uh, let's look at uh, let's get to this final one here, Ed. You ready? Yes, sir. All right, the commanding leader. Yep, the commanding leader. Uh, the commanding leader emotionally manages people by soothing their fears, giving them clear direction, and telling them what to do. You think about that, you know, commanding things, right? This leadership style is very problematic because you have to have a high degree of self-control to pull this off. Otherwise, you can come off as cold, distant, and uncaring. Of course, when you're trying to soothe a friend and get your friend going again, the last thing you want to do is to come off as cold and distant. I think the key word that's missing in in that little bit there is empathy. That's key. Yes. And it's also a portion of our emotional intelligence episode. Go back and listen to that one. Uh, but yeah, empathy, well, empathy is overlooked, but I think empathy is always overlooked. Even in general, people kind of overlook that the importance of empathy or they confuse it with sympathy. Yes, definitely. I think, uh, I think sometimes people, they not only did confuse it, but they, they see empathy as a weakness and it's not a weakness. Ego the weakness yeah and ego gets in front of empathy i feel and this is just my own opinion that a lot of type a personalities tend to uh see empathy as a weakness oh absolutely i i I completely agree and i will tell you that um it took me years to figure out what empathy was and know how to use it properly i really did i always felt like a um and maybe i never was an alpha i don't know but I always felt like I had an alpha mentality and like drive, 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 do, 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 get things done, lead, 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 you know that. And if you came to me with a problem, I would just look at you and say, well, fix it, you know? Yeah. Instead of like actually getting to the the source of the problem and, and learning how to coach, you know, back to a coaching leader, to coach them through that issue so we can get back on track because – you know, just like I said earlier in the very beginning, using these types of leadership styles are really just kind of guides along because you're going to constantly have little bumps in the road that may have nothing to do, not one thing to do with what your organization does, right? So you have to be able to help people beyond those issues. I find it I find it funny how deep we get into the lives of our soldiers, Ed compared to the civilian world and how deep they get into the lives of their employees. Don't you? Yeah. And that was something I've, I actually struggled with allowing my leader to do. And then, cause you know, I don't want them in my business, but then as I became a leader and we have soldiers, unfortunately, who are uh, guilty of domestic violence and stuff. Well, if you don't want me in your business, then don't do dumb things. I'm in your business because obviously you can't handle your own business uh, in a proper, you know, adult manner. But yeah, that's one of those things you don't see that at a company. No. If uh, if you're working at a at a business and you and your spouse get into it and you put your hands on your spouse, the company's not coming to get you out of jail. Nope. You know what I mean? They're not. You're not calling them. You're going to call a lawyer and get yourself out of jail. Uh, your team lead is not coming down there to get you out. So that's one of those real big separations between the civilian sector and what we do. Because in the middle of the night, Brian's getting a phone call. 
and he's going to go get said soldier or he's going to call Ed to go get said soldier. And Brian's going to go to the office while he waits for Ed to bring this soldier in so that he can uh, start the discussions about what happened. You know what I mean? Like that's not happening in the civilian sector. No. And that's part of that to me that right there it's, obviously we're straying away from commanding leadership a little bit, but it really helps signify the whole coaching and the understanding of what it is to have empathy. When we sit down in that office, we're going to talk about the issue and then how that issue could be resolved. You know, and it, you, you brought up, you said, well, maybe the spouse, they put hands upon each other. Right. Um, And there's others like, you know, DUIs, things like that. Those are some things that are like, wow. Okay. But what about, what about a young 18-year-old kid who has never in their life had a checkbook or a checking account. The first time that they even knew or had such a thing was when the recruiter took them over to the local bank to sign up for it because they had to have direct deposit set up before they left for the Army. That right there alone. I mean, you don't see that in a company. No. Not one time. did you? I know you worked in the civilian sector a lot more than I did. But not one time did a, a team lead sit him down and say, hey, listen, um, I noticed uh, you seem to be having some type of financial struggles. Let's talk through this. Let's, let's look over some things and let's see if we can kind of get you back on course. Not one time. Nope, absolutely not. Now, I'm sure there's companies out there that are a little more involved than others. But, I mean, not on a personal level like that. But, I mean, they may have financial readiness training that they offer to their employees. They may. Um, there are some great companies out there. Uh, you know, I can tell you, my my sister works for an amazing company that is very involved in helping them with everything. But all companies aren't going to be like that, and and they're definitely not coming to bail you out of the out of the pokey because you've done something stupid. No, no, but it's funny. You know, it's it is funny because I, I mean, the NBA, the NFL, yep, they do it. They they have to go through a financial class when they get drafted. Or let's think about this. It may not be the NFL or the NBA that goes and picks up a kid or tries to take care of them when they uh, they get some type of uh, legal action, right? But you you bet your you bet your bottom dollar that that agent is is there trying to help out and get things straight, and they're trying to get read through it. Now sometimes I think they became enablers, not using empathy for the right reasons, and they enable thinking, oh, we just get them out of trouble, and then that person has no uh, proper judgment. Um, you know that feeling of repercussions yeah exactly it's more uh what is it affluent is it affluence yeah affluence and uh so they kind of they they create a worse situation but you bring in a brand new uh college recruit who just got drafted and they have to sit through it and i think every single rookie has to go through that that financial piece where they talk about investments and all that stuff and teach about it and stuff. So no, I wish more places did that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. So let's, uh, so drive on here. The commanding leadership style really works best only in one particular circumstance. If you are going through a, a, a personal crisis and simply just need rapid action, this type of leadership approach might work. Or I'm sorry, if you're a friend or somebody else, uh, this would work. Also, it works with people who can't seem to respond to the other types of emotional leadership. This is an emotional leadership style that should be at least be the last resort. If done badly, it could cause more problems than solves. I concur completely with that statement. Yeah. If done badly, it will create more problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the pieces, and I don't know if it's in the text that you have, though, 
So basically, the the commanding leader, right? That's somebody who can jump in, seize the reins, and single-handedly fix the ship. In here, the author says, consider why the army and military are so intentional about breaking their recruits down. It is so they can command absolute compliance and get them to do things like march into gunfire. The commanding leader sees the overall picture and can make difficult decisions and handle confrontations others may not be able to. So it even talks about why we go through basic training, why they break you down in basic training, because listen, at the end of the day, I'm expected to comply to orders as long as it's not life, limb or eyesight. And if it's life, because we're in a combat zone, that's different, but um, I'm supposed to comply. And that's what the commanding leader expects. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I like that. I like that point. If going into combat, right. Let's look at some of the other, some of the other types of leadership styles. Let's say we're getting a little, a uh, um, little bit of contact, right. Their coaching style, the coaching leader. Um, I don't think you're going to coach them through getting in cover. You're going to tell them, yeah. move to that cover there, start shooting that door. You know, uh, what about the, uh, the democratic leader? Um, all right, everybody, what are your thoughts about shooting in that direction? No, it's not. The, <laughs> that's not the time. For, that's the commanding leadership style. And it's knowing when to implement it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's a good point, man. Yeah. No, I, now I do think, so I'm just thinking visionary. And if anybody's ever seen the, the movie Lone Survivor, you can kind of see it. When I say, see that ridge over there? That's going to give us better cover you know, from fire, better protection, or give us an advantage over the enemy. I'm painting that picture that we need to get up there. So basically I'm saying, come with me to better cover on that ridge. So that, that's kind of, but it's not going to be that quite that slow and deliberate. But you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I can see visionary kind of in a firefight, but um, in, in firefight, okay, let's talk about deadlines and stuff as at a company. That's still a firefight. Like it's that's not the time to say, okay, Brian, this deadline is tomorrow. And now, if you want, who wants to meet the deadline tomorrow, and who wants to just kind of go home now? That's not happening. So no, it's time and place. Just like I said earlier, all these things are really time and place. You can combine them. You can take one and use it. You can use one and then move into another one. And that's what I liked about this. Uh, this chapter. And there's so many other leadership styles not covered in this book, but these are really good. These six. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, really you think about it, that's kind of why we, we said, Hey, even when we were discussing the book, we we're like, I think this chapter is a show by itself. <laughs> Let me finish reading this and we'll, we'll, we'll close this out uh, by understanding the six major emotional leadership styles. You can position yourself to adapt your emotional leadership approach to each person in each situation. Different people have different needs. These needs and preferences often change with time. By being aware of these different emotional leadership styles and the circumstances in which they work best, you can put yourself in a position to become exactly the kind of person your people need at a certain time. This obviously makes you not just likable, but in many cases, emotionally indispensable. It also boils down to how you classify circumstances and how you read the receptivity of your people. That, that speaks volumes. It basically echoes exactly what we just said. This whole thing, Brian, I think it's really important. So I think adaptability as a leader is crucial. And I think that's what this chapter is. I think this author could have took this chapter, elaborated, 
added some content and wrote a whole nother book. He may have missed an opportunity to cash in and maybe he will later, but this chapter to me was just that good. Just using that Goldman study. Uh, he couldn't, you know, he could have got more into it, but adaptability. I have to, as a leader, as an influencer, as a CEO, as a whatever position, be able to recognize who I'm working with, their strengths and weaknesses, which one of these styles best fits them, right. time and place using these styles. That's just so crucial to the overall big picture. Absolutely. You know, and and I guess this, so we've been on this, we've been on this, uh, this journey together. This is episode 29. And if you notice, and and, and I'm speaking uh, also to the audience primarily, if you notice, there's no one way to be able to achieve the success of being a good influencer or leader. There's, it's, it's, there's, it seems like there's infinite ways because you mix and match and you, you tailor this and you do that. And, then you've got to, how you feel about it, how they feel about it. You, know, you have all these different, I mean, there's just so much that comes into play that personally, I think all we're offering up is tools to put in a tool bag. That's all we can, that, that's all we can really offer and we can give our advice or what we've seen in our time or taking from those we've interviewed and seen what they've seen. It really comes down to is, are you trying to learn and you using Ed's favorite little term? Lifelong learning. <laughs> exactly. If you're using that, you're you're going to understand what it takes to become the leader anyone will follow. Become the influencer that will direct and guide and help people become better. And I think that's kind of like what our mission statement is, is, I mean, if we create better influencers, so every episode I was telling you earlier, like um, some people, these episodes are going to be like, well, I already know all this stuff, but some episodes you're not going to know, or, or there may be a tidbit of that episode that you're like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't think of it that way. You may have known it and didn't realize you were doing it. So these aha moments, that's what we're after as influencers. We want you to have those aha moments and then you'd be like, okay, now how can I spread this to others? You know, and, and hopefully th- this episode today, really good. Excellent. So I'm going to, I'm going to, since I don't think you have it, I'm going to give you the quick rundown of the six things we went over today with the one word sentence that the author offers to give uh, some clarity to it. Okay. Number one, visionary. Come with me to a better world. Number two, the coaching leader. Try this and you might learn from it. Number three is the affiliate. Only if everyone feels good about it. The democratic leader. What does everyone think? The pace setting leader. Do more faster. And then there's the commanding leader. Do what I say. And that just made me think of my dad. Do as I say, not as I do. Anyway, the commanding leader, do what I say. And those are just little quick one sentence in the takeaway section of this book to wrap up all that Brian and I have discussed uh, today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I mean, it it's fun. Um, we've said it before. I enjoy just doing the show because I get to learn a little bit more. Or I get to get in depth into some things and, you know, this book, I, I have to say, I, I was, I was happy. This book was suggested yes, by one of your mentors. And then you said, Hey, you should check this out. 
and then I checked it out, and then we discussed. And I think you brought it up as we should do a show on it, and and it just that's how it transformed into you know like we had other shows lined up to record, yeah. like basically of the list of things we want to do. This one kind of cut the line, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this, so like okay, uh, yeah, we need to fit this in now because it's that good. Um, I will definitely tell you um, if you don't. If you haven't purchased the book yet, I would tell you you need to uh, you probably go check it out. Uh, it's it's basically it's written by Patrick King and it's called The Science of Likeability: Charm, Wit, Humor in the 16 Studies That Show. Actually, yours is what 14 studies? Six, uh, 27. <laughs> 27 studies. Yeah. See, see, he's obviously changed it since you know. So maybe you should get the hard copy, listeners. Um, 16 studies that show how to master them. I will I will make sure I put the uh, I'll put the link to the Amazon link to the book. So if you decide you want to get it, hey, just click on it and then you know purchase it. I don't think it was very expensive. I know the I'll I'll I'll, I'll do a Kindle link and then a hard copy link. I think the Kindle link I think the Kindle cost me like three ninety nine and then I I dropped another dollar ninety nine for the audio piece of it so I can actually listen to it if I don't want to read. So, but it's definitely worth it, man. I, I I have to say thanks for the read, man. It was amazing. Yeah. And I think I'm actually going to be seeing him soon, like in the, in the next couple of months, I'm actually going to get to see him and I'm, I just want to sit down and talk to him about it. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll even do like a little audio clip, uh, talk uh, with discussing it with the person that recommended it to us and we could throw it up on the Facebook page or something. I smell an interview coming. Yeah. I asked also, I really enjoyed doing the book, Brian. And I mean, I talked about earlier the, the new book from the, uh, the guy that does the lead X podcast, Kevin Cruz and the new book he came out with is called great leaders have no rules contrarian leadership principles to transform your business or your team in business. And uh, maybe we have to, it's a quick read. Um, maybe we might have to look at doing an episode on that. That might be something for the future too. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to look that up now. I'm probably going to, I'll, I'll grab the Kindle version and then probably end up not getting the same version as you. Let's get, well, it's <laughs> brand new. Like this just, I pre-ordered and it was delivered this week. So there can't be two different versions yet. <laughs> All right, good, definitely. Well, do you have anything else about the book or anything we talked about today, Ed? No, I am thankful that he recommended it. And uh, because of the respect I had for him, I actually ordered it as soon as I got off the phone with him. And I read it within uh, within about a week on my travels. So, yeah, good read. Definitely a Definitely. good one. It's tabbed out, man. I must have 20 tabs in this thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, and I listened to it like when I was riding my bicycle. I listened to it also. So it was kind of nice to be able to just, you know, get lost in thought when I'm just doing some physical activity. Um, but with that, hey, you all know there's a task involved. This is the end of the show, so we're t- it's time to go for the task. This is actually a two-part task, and it makes you think on two different levels, all right? So episode 29's task, which type or types of leadership do you connect with? So if you take those six, which one do you connect best with? And then, which type are you? So what do you connect with and what type are you? So I'm going to put that on the Facebook, closed Facebook group page. So if you haven't joined 101 Influence in the search bar of Facebook, hit visit group, answer the three questions, and then we'll make sure we uh, approve you. And then go in there and if you if you are a part of the group or trying to become a part of the group, go in there and answer this question. I think it's, uh, it's definitely a, a good idea. Other than that, I'm definitely uh, thinking this was uh, been a good one, Ed. What do you say? 
Yeah, I uh, I I have enjoyed it, and there's I got one more note too. So Brian mentioned cycling, and uh, I am creating an instinctive influencers podcast group on Strava, so that our influencers who enjoy cycling can join in. We can have challenges and all that great stuff. So I, I haven't started it yet. So give me about a week to get everything situated. But yeah, I, I thought it'd be a fun thing to do, especially after we talked about the importance of fitness on a. Uh, influencing us absolutely yeah um and i think they can uh can, we can open that up as not just cycling but also running too right yes i'm gonna put both yep awesome and let's use that i mean hey if you're out there and you're wanting to find more influencers to help you in that physical activity hey that's the that's the forum to use because you can actually put an there can be announcements on there to say hey we're doing this run here we're doing this this ride here you know and it helps reach out to others so that's just one more way to connect to other influencers great idea Ed love it man yeah every once in a while I'm good for something no I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah all right well so that's it we're gonna wrap up the show uh, I want to thank everybody uh, make sure you check out not only our Facebook page one zero one influence but also in, we got uh, Instagram one zero one influence along with twitter 101 influence check those out uh there's not too much stuff on there we try to keep a regular post but we want to really beef it up um along with that we're both on linkedin linkedin is a great source a great source for finding new material for anything uh other than that i am brian and i am ed and this has been the instinctive influencers podcast we thank you for listening have a great day